Again, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, I'm going to mention two things briefly before I launch into the the passage. The first is uh, I had the opportunity to be in Vietnam week before last to do some teaching. And, uh, you know, something that we talk about as Christians, and it's even part of the Apostles' Creed as we talk about the communion of saints and, uh, and that just means that all the believers everywhere are connected. And, and uh, whether we ever know each other or meet each other or have interaction with each other. Because you're not just talking about across geographic space. You're talking about across time, uh, believers of different centuries. But that we're all connected. We're all one family. But uh, one of the things, and I, I was teaching through an interpreter who I hope was, you know, translating what I was actually saying into Vietnamese, but... Uh, but one of the things that I told this group was that there's this group of people in South Carolina uh, that, that in our church family, and, and some of them are praying for you very, very specifically. And, uh, and this was the first morning that I'd met this group, and I just saw these smiles come on these people's faces. And, you know, it's, it's sort of impossible to describe a feeling, convey a feeling, but... Uh, but for me, it was the real feeling of God's people being connected. Vietnam is almost on the absolute opposite side of the world. And just to see these people smiling about the fact that there are some Christians that we've never met, that we don't know, that we may never meet in this life, who are praying for us. So thank you for being the people that I got to tell them about. Um, second thing is this, just briefly, and I feel like we need to say this from time to time. Uh, in the last week, I've heard more anecdotes than I have in, in quite some time about folks visiting downtown Perez and, um, and not being spoken to or uh, being welcomed uh, to the point where some folks have visited and decided not to, not to come back. And, you know, the, the reason I want to put this before us is not to say, now look, we've got to keep our numbers up, so be nice to people. All right, that, that's, not, that's not what's driving this, this comment. But there's just, the reality is there's this thing that we're, we're all going to be prone to do, and we're just going to have to fight and battle uphill to not do this, and that is to, to fall into thinking that really this is mostly about me and about us. Uh, when we come together, to some degree, it is about me and it is about us because we do want to worship God and we, we expect and hope to find great benefit from God working in our midst. But we don't just exist for ourselves. Uh, the church exists for others and for our neighbor. And, you know, one of the things that Adam prayed when he was admitting the new members is, Lord, let us be a blessing to our city. So I just, you know, I, I want to be saying this over the months and years that we have together, but... Just even if you're worried that if I speak to this person next to me, I'm going to find out they've been at downtown press for six years or that it's an elder or something like that, it is an elder, uh, just, you know, break on through to the other side and, and welcome those that you don't know. Please say hello. Please introduce yourself. Please invite to lunch or whatever. I just, um, I want us to put into practice what the Apostle Paul says in Romans, and that is to extend the welcome to one another that you have received from Christ, okay? So, friendly reminder. All right, we're, we're wrapping up a series, and we've been looking at the life of a disciple 
So this is going to be part eight of eight, and uh, we've mostly been in the Gospel of Mark, but I want to dip into the New Testament book of Galatians. This is one of the Apostle Paul's letters, Galatians chapter six, really just going to look at a couple of verses, and uh, you may or may not know this, but day after tomorrow is a special day for, for Protestants. Uh, October 31st is sometimes celebrated as Reformation Day, but, but the one day after tomorrow is especially unique because it will be the 500th anniversary of an event from church history. And the event is that Martin Luther, German reformer, uh, former Roman Catholic, former monk, uh, posted a list of, of discussion points. He called them 95 Theses. And what he did was he knew that uh, November 1st there was going to be a lot of traffic through a church door in this, this uh, city of Wittenberg. And the church door was sort of like the community bulletin board. And November 1st is All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. And so the day before All Hallows Eve, and I think most of you know that's where Halloween, the word Halloween comes from. Uh, on the day before All Hallows Eve, he posted these, these discussion points as things that he wanted to talk about and for the church to, to discuss and come to grips with. You know, the Reformation had lots of factors and lots of tributaries pouring into this stream. It didn't start with just one moment or one event, but this, is, this was an event that we can assign a date to when really uh, things really began to happen after that. And so it's a celebration in some ways of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. You may have heard of the 95 Theses. Have you ever read the 95 Theses? I think most people have not. I'm not going to read them to you now in German. But let me read three. Okay, so I won't read 92. Here's number 36. Any truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt even without indulgence letters. Now, th- those were kind of, those were fighting words. Because what Luther, one of the things Luther was taking to task was the sale of indulgences. This was a way to, to purchase uh, reduced time or release from purgatory for you or for a loved one. And Luther is making the dramatic claim that, you know what, if you just turn to the Lord and believe in Him, you're out. You have full remission right then. All right, number 62. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. I'm going to read that one again. Number 62. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Now, when Luther said that, I think you're seeing one of his real loves. Uh, Martin Luther loved Paul's letter to the Galatians. Loved it. In fact, his commentary on the book of Galatians is still in print and still useful. And, and uh, in fact, he actually he, he called Galatians his Catherine. That was his wife, Katie. He called Galatians his Katie because he loved it so much. Um, I, with an eye to the celebration of the Reformation, but also to wrap up our series about what, what does it mean to be a disciple? And not a special kind, 
not a top tier, you know, just what does it mean to belong to Jesus and follow Him, to be His disciple? That's the word the New Testament typically uses, not Christian, but disciple. Context on the book of Galatians, then I'm going to read these two verses. Um, Paul and um, the gospel with him had gone into this area, Galatia, and to the cities there. Churches had been started, like Adam was talking about, communities of believers with elders, with doctrine. Um, Gospel was established there. Churches were established there. Paul moved on, and a group came in behind him called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers did not come in and say, hey, scrap everything Paul just told you. We're going to give you a totally different message. What they did was they came in and said, look, hey, what Paul told you is right. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. You need to believe in Jesus to have eternal life. But you need to do one more thing. You need to be circumcised. And just do that one other thing. And Paul got wind of it. And and pretty much the strongest language you'll hear Paul use in his letters is in Galatians. Because he says this. If you come in... And you say, believe plus something. That is another gospel. And if I or another preacher or if an angel appears in glory and says another gospel to you, let me or that other preacher or that angel be accursed. There is no other gospel. These verses come at the end of this letter where Paul is... is being very direct, but celebrating that our gospel is the finished work of Jesus Christ plus nothing. And then he says this, Galatians 6, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we remember that the Lord Jesus said that Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so we ask that we not just listen to a talk and that I not just give a talk, but that right now we feed upon every word that comes from your mouth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When, uh, When I was a high schooler in Jackson, Mississippi... Back in olden times, in the 1980s. I was involved in our church's youth group. That's really when I became a Christian. As best, I don't have an exact date, but around 10th grade I became a Christian. And uh, I think it was when I was in 11th grade, I think, that something unusual happened in our youth group. And it it was unusual for our church and unusual for kind of our demographic. This father and son started visiting our youth group together. The son was maybe a couple of years older than me, and his dad came with him. And, and to this day, I don't know why they started coming or, or, or what became of them, but uh, it was an all-white youth group. 
And, um, and I went to an all-white high school. And it was an African-American son and, and father. The son's name, I believe, was Leon. But a young man and his dad from Jackson, Mississippi. So I, I remember the first time they came when, uh, when we prayed in youth group, somebody opened up in prayer. They were doing what, what, what they were familiar with, what was you know, normal for them when they prayed is like lots of amen, lots of, you know, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord. And that was so unusual to us that I remember even people kind of laughing in youth group when they did that, when they prayed. But he's really a lovely guy. And um, a friend of mine told me something that, that Leon said to him in a conversation one day. L- Leon just gave off a real love for the Lord Jesus. And uh, he said to, to this friend of mine, hey, you know what? We need to go out witnessing. We need to go out and we need to tell people about Christ. And, um, and this friend of mine was up for that. He said, man, let's do it. Where do you want to go? And Leon said, let's go to Ferris Street. Now, the one Jacksonian I know in the congregation is, is uh, smiling and nodding because she knows that Ferris Street is like synonymous with danger and crime, prostitution, name it, in, in Jackson, Mississippi. He said, yeah, let, let's, go, let's go witness for Christ on Ferris Street. To which my friend said, uh, Leon, you might lose your life if you do that. To which Leon said, Jeffrey, what is my life? And I, you know, I, I remember the sense that I, I had never heard anyone younger than 300 years old say something like that. Do <laughs> you know what I mean by that? That like any, any quote I'd ever seen like that was from somebody from the 15 or 1600s. I'd never heard a peer talk like that. But he said that, and he meant it, and it just kind of came out of his soul. And what we could call that, that kind of thinking and that, that kind of approach is it's cruciform. What does it mean for something to be cruciform? It, you know, that word is not in the Bible, but it's a word that Christians have been using for some time. It means for something to take on the shape of the cross. Um, some church structures are cruciform. If you, you, may, you may not be able to tell when you're inside, but if you look at it from, from the, the air, the building is built in the shape of a cross. It's cruciform. But think about, like, uh, think about a baking pan or, or, or you know, the kind of pan that you make a cake in that it forms what's in it till it takes on the shape of the thing that forms it. The Christian's life, according to the New Testament, a disciple's life is cruciform. The cross of Jesus Christ is not just this thing that we believe as part of our dogma, you know, and this is part of our theological system, and we can explain how it works. And it's just kind of part of the equation of what you believe to, to have a sound Christian uh, profession. Now, it says that the cross shapes your life. That's what this passage is about. This is Paul after he's been just in, in the face of the Galatians, challenging them and really rebuking them, but then celebrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Paul 
saying about his own life and his own experience that his life had become cruciform. And when he says this, he doesn't so much have his like apostle's hat on. He has the normal Christian life hat on. What does it mean to be cruciform? Well, let's, let's look at a couple of aspects of that. And um, here's the two things I want to look at. First off, the cross for the disciple defines the world. The cross defines the world. And then the cross defines boasting. The cross defines the world, and the cross defines boasting. Let me read verse 14 again. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, I feel like I've got to stop here and make sure we're on the same page about... We're talking about the world. What is the world? I don't mean the physical earth. God made the earth. He made it good. The Old and the New Testament celebrate that, that God made the world and He made it good. So we're not talking about that we're against birds and trees and hills and rocks and rivers and and, and creativity and all that. What's the world? The world is a system. It's a worldwide system in opposition to God. You might say it's just a global expression of, of sinners doing what comes naturally. And it's marked by independence from God and pride and self-congratulation and pleasure. Okay, that's, that's the world. And Paul says this, the cross is not just something I believe in. And the cross is not just something that's changed me. But because of the cross and in the cross... The world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. Now, what does that mean? And I think this is one of the most difficult passages I've ever, I've ever been confronted with to try to, to comment on. Probably not the best way to preface everything. Because it's mysterious. But you think about is people who show up bent away from God. All of us, we're born and we, we, not only do we not show up good, we don't even show up neutral. But the Bible says that we show up bent away from God. No one has to teach us how to lie or cheat or be selfish or be self-absorbed. We show up knowing that. That's how we're born. As we show up, what is the world? The world to us is like unlimited raw material for me to do what? For me to, number one, carve out an identity for myself. And number two, for me to find security. Now, maybe that doesn't sum up everything, but that sums up a lot. That the world is like the world and what it affords is going to be how I express myself, how I am known, how I find meaning. And, and I'm known as having meaning. And I'm known as having significance. I'm going to carve out an identity with this raw material. It's going to look different for different people. And I'm going to carve out security, whether that means savings, wealth, or emotional security, or relational security. I'm going to carve it out for myself. And Paul says this, 
What does the cross mean? What does the cross mean? The cross means this. Our condition is so bad that the only thing that could be done that would actually do something was for God to become a man and take on Himself all the selfishness of His people, all the lies, all the misuse of sex, all the misuse of pleasure, all the misuse of food and drink, all the misuse of work and vocation, all of it, to take it all on Himself and to fall under the wrath of God. God becomes man and falls under the wrath of God. And Paul is essentially saying this. If that's true, and if that's what we really believe is the only way that I can be reconciled to God for that to have happened on my behalf, then that died. There's still an earth. There's still an earth full of people. There's still an earth full of work and there's still an earth full of raw material for all kinds of endeavors. But as far as, is that going to be how I have an identity anymore? It died. And is that going to be how I have security? No. If I'm going to have identity and security through the cross then anything that that system offers me died to me. And it works the other way too. Because here's the thing. The world doesn't just expect participation. The world demands participation. And it's, Paul's image is, is it's as if the world is coming to us saying, okay, all right, come to me and I'll give you identity. Come to me and I'll give you security. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Like here's one expression of it. Hey, come to me and work 80, 90 hours a week. Okay, understand. No, you're not going to be able to be a relational person. But come to me and do it. And and two things will happen. You'll find significance. You'll be known. You'll have importance. You'll have power. You'll have that. And you'll make enough that you'll always be secure. Come to me. And Paul says, for the disciple, even himself, when the world comes with that offer, what it finds is a, like a Christian crucified. Isn't that weird? Or how about this? When the world comes to, uh, let's say, a parent. Let's say when the world comes to a mother, a mother in 21st century America, a mother in 21st century Greenville, and the world says, okay, look, I'm going to tell you how to have identity and security. You're going to be the everything mother. You're going to be omnicompetent, and everyone's going to like you, and you're going to post about your amazing life, and you're going to look sexy, but you're going to be maternal, and you're going to be fun, and you're going to be healthy. And you're going to live vicariously through your children. And this is how you're going to have identity. And this is how you're going to have security. The world comes and it finds a dead woman. 
It's a weird image. But it comes straight out of Galatians, doesn't it? Uh, Where does the world most have its hooks into you and me? Can you identify it? I I think for many of us, it's our stuff, our things, it's our family, whether you have children or not. And some people are not close to their families, but some people are very close to their families, and they can't imagine life without their families. Is it your body? Your own physical existence? Because I want you to think about what we just sang when we sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. At the end of that song, Luther writes these words, Let goods and kindred go. Let goods, let your stuff go. Your kindred are your relatives, your family. Even let your mortal life, let your own life go. The world has died to you if you belong to Jesus Christ. And you have died to it. The cross defines you now in your relation to the world. But the cross defines your boasting. You know, Paul uses this word a lot. If you just look in First and Second Corinthians, look in a concordance, you know, that's a, that's a reference work. What words in the Bible? You can do word studies with a concordance. The word boast, just in First and Second Corinthians, dozens of times. Why does he use this word boast? What, it, what does boast mean? Um, I, I'm going to take a swing at a definition the way Paul is using it. Boast seems to mean, the way Paul uses it, it's something that comes out of Self-inventory in the pursuit of joy. Self-inventory in the pursuit of joy. What I mean is, when a human being looks through his or her own life and says, all right, why do I have joy? Why do I have meaning? Why should I be proud of who I am? Why is my life worth living? And they they do an inventory through their life. Whatever you emerge with in that self-inventory, that's what you boast in. And let me read Paul's words again. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the theme of Galatians? The theme of Galatians is this. If we say, you know what? I know that I'm right with God. I know that I have eternal life. I know that um, I'm a righteous person. And I'm square with the house because I believe in Jesus and, he says, as soon as you attach and, that is a false gospel. The good news is that someone came and did it for you and then was punished for you on the cross. That everything that's wrong with you was credited to him and punished severely, judicially. And you have been credited with everything that's right about him. If that's true, how could we boast in anything else? But we do boast in other things. You know, like, what, 
What do we boast in? And there's obvious ones, but then there's less obvious ones. The obvious ones is, what are the stickers on the back of your car? You know, those are things we boast in or things that we humble brag about on social media. I love the term humble brag so much. And I have seen some doozies lately. I can't quote them because I don't know who listens to the podcast, but I have seen some doozies lately. You know, so grateful and humble that our child was accepted into Princeton. Translation, our kid got into Princeton and yours didn't. Those are the obvious ones. The less obvious ones is maybe the thing that we never say, but it's the thing we like about ourselves that we perceive as different than those around us. For instance, uh, you know what? I'm not fake. There's a lot of fake people in the South. A lot of fake niceness, fake pleasantries. But you know what? I'm not fake. I'm genuine. That can be a great quality if it comes out of a transformed heart, but it's a terrible thing to boast in. Are you going to boast in the finished work of Christ plus your authenticity? Or uh, I work hard. I know a lot of people that work. I'll work them under the table. I like work anybody. Hard work is great. I want to work hard. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But it's a terrible boast. If the thing that gives you meaning and gives you identity and gives you security is, I believe in Jesus and I'm a hard worker, then it's awful. How about this one? You know what? Um, I weighed in where things, uh, I weighed in where there's pain. You know, I have friends that when something awkward happens, something painful happens, they back away, they don't know what to do. Someone dies, someone's sick, there's tragedy. I know how to wade in. I know how to go into the difficult places. Man, that's an amazing quality unless it's your boast. Paul says this, the disciple is the person who says, let me tell you what my identity is and what my security is, is that Jesus died for me. That's my boast. Let me end with this. I've got to read this from my phone because one of my children um, borrowed my copy of Lord of the Rings. And people think I quote Lord of the Rings a lot. I don't think I've quoted it for a long time, so let me repent. At the end of Lord of the Rings, and this is not in the movie, um, there's this excursion that's leaving Middle Earth to go to the Grey Havens, and the uh, the fellowship goes to see them off, and Sam thinks that uh, Frodo's just there seeing them off and that he's going to come back to the Shire, but then... Sam realizes that Frodo's about to get on the ship and leave. And he's, he's heartbroken. He thinks, I, you went through all that? You dispatched with the ring. Sorry, spoiler. You dispatched with the ring. We did that to save Middle Earth. We did that to save the Shire. Now you're going to go away. And he, start, he starts to weep. Uh, 
I thought you were going to enjoy the shower too for years and years after all you've done. And if you've never heard these words, listen to this. Frodo says, so I thought too once. But I've been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. And since Paul spoke in the singular, I'm going to speak in the singular. Do you know what our boast is? God wanted me to have laughter. I don't mean temporal laughter now. I mean the laughter forever. So he became sad. God wanted me to live. And so he died. God wanted me to have health in a glorified body forever. So he became limited and frail and poor and tortured and killed that I might live. My God came from heaven when I could not help myself and was credited with my guilt, my guilt, punished for it and died so that I never have to taste that. That's our boast. That's the disciples' boast. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that if the good news has been old to us and that we have become jaded to it, that you would renew us and that even if there's just a little little bit of a spark, a little bit of a coal still glowing, that you would blow upon it, bring us back to yourself, warm our hearts. Father, we pray that if there are any here who've never believed, never believed in the cross, never believed in the finished work of Jesus, that you would give that person faith even this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.